turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read the Christmas story there. And by the way, if the Lord does return today, if you're saved, if you've been born again, you will be caught up together with them in the air, the Bible says. And uh, we're not going to be left behind in this world. But if you are not saved, yeah, you'll be left behind. And I want to encourage you. You know, the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ, his invitation is to everyone. It's to whosoever to call. Not to uh, someone of a certain race or uh, someone who lives on a certain side of the railroad tracks. It's whosoever. And I'm so thankful for that. And in Luke chapter 2, we have the traditional story here told of, at Christmas. It's something that, that we should uh, uh, keep before us at all times, not just at Christmas. But it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Our Heavenly Father, we just call upon you again, asking for your will to be done. Take control of this service, and Lord, may I only preach what you've laid in my heart, and nothing more, nothing less. And so you help me to uh, be obedient in that way. And I pray that every individual sitting in the pew would be uh, filled with thy spirit, that God, you'd control their thoughts and help them to focus in on you and on your word. And uh, we give you all the glory, for it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus was not the son of God because he was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin because he was the son of God. You see, Jesus did not begin to live he did not start there in Bethlehem. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He stepped out of glory, and as Isaiah said, unto us a child was born. We're going to be taking a look here today and talking about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior Jesus. Now, I'm aware that the world laughs at the idea of a virgin birth. Oh, they mock at that. They may talk about it as being something superstitious, something that's uh, 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 like they may equal it with the Greek mythology. And they mock it. And, it because, and then I'm also further aware that the devil hates the idea of the virgin birth. Why, you may ask? Because it teaches both the humanity and the deity 
of our Lord and Savior and the devil's enemy, Jesus Christ. But worse than the mockery of this world, worse than the hatred of Satan, is the ignorance of many so-called Christians. They doubt it. They say, oh, I'm saved, I'm a believer, but they doubt the virgin birth. And some don't believe it at all, and others, they think it's, oh, it's not really that big a deal. It's, it's, it's incidental. And, and I, wanna, I want to show you in the, the message here this morning that you have no hope of salvation apart from the virgin birth. You see, it's, it's not incidental. It's fundamental to our faith, to our belief. So just three thoughts here this morning. Number one, the mystery of his birth. The mystery of his birth. Now if you would go back to chapter 1 of Luke, the angel has announced to Mary that, she's, uh, that she is with child, but Mary is a virgin. And she is a spouse to a man named Joseph, but they haven't come together, they, they've, uh, the, the ceremony hasn't happened, There's, they haven't come together in an act of marriage. They're not living together as husband and wife. And yet the angel Gabriel says to Mary, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And, and now she, she asked a very pertinent question here. She, uh, she said, beginning there in verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, how? <laughs> how shall this be? And a big question, how? Uh, this is a mystery, she says to me. Now look. I've been with, uh, in several situations of dealing with people, and I, I've learned over a period of time not to ask too many questions, especially some pertinent questions. Like, for instance, going to the door, and, and the woman answers the door, and, and we're talking, and I say, well, when is the baby due? I'm not pregnant. Oh, I learned real quick, you don't ask that unless you really know, and, uh, or even the age thing, that's something you shouldn't. Uh, ask and but I've some have been just forthright and given out information it's about their own child said, well I really don't know who the father is I don't know you see but Mary wasn't that type of individual she knew she had not been with any man and she knew this how is this going to be how should this be seeing I know not a man now, the words know not literally mean that she's not had any sexual relations with any man. Now, let's read. Read on there, starting at verse 35 down through verse 38. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Well, praise God. Can you say amen to that? And See, if, if you have difficulty with the truth that with, nothing, or with God nothing shall be impossible, then yes, you're going to have difficulty with the virgin birth. Not only that, you're going to have problems with a lot that's in the Bible if you uh, do not believe that with God nothing is impossible. May I tell you that the virgin birth, it doesn't depend 
on your understanding it. It doesn't. Is that okay to say? It, it doesn't depend on our understanding, our ability to understand the truth of it. You don't have to understand the virgin birth to validate it. And there are a lot of things that, quite frankly, we don't understand. If I asked you this morning, can you explain to me how a windshield wiper works? There might be some of you could. If I asked you, no, draw a diagram explaining all the parts and how that works. Well, no, preacher, I don't need to know that. All I need to know is how to turn it on, and it works. And, same, you know, many things like that, we don't know how they work. We don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass and you get, give white milk. And then a little later, that, uh, it turns yellow with butter. Uh, we don't understand all of that. Uh, but Vance Havner said this, I don't understand electricity. But I'm not going to sit around in the dark until I do. I know all I have to do is flip the switch on. It's going to give light. I don't have to understand it all. Now, if, if you want to understand, I know Dallas or Noah, they could probably uh, give a great explanation of that. But um, a lot of us could not. But we don't have to understand everything to validate the truth of it. And the same thing with the virgin birth. Mary asked a question here. It's a good question. She says, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? Some ask, is not the idea of a virgin birth biologically impossible? It's an impossibility, is it not? Now, let's let the angel answer this question. Is there anything they say, too hard for God? And of course, the angel would say, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. God is not bound by the very laws that he himself has made. Uh, he created the universe. He made everything that we see around us. You see, he is not bound. He is the master. He is the Lord of the universe. God can do anything that he pleases. Why? Because he is God. There's no one over him. He does not uh, uh, answer to anyone. He is in complete control. And he, he runs everything. Now, we'll have no difficulty with the virgin birth if we believe in creation. Why do I say that? Well, if you uh, can get past Genesis 1-1, then you're home free with all the miracles of the Word of God. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Now, do you have difficulty believing the virgin birth? Um, listen, God made the first man without a father, without a mother, and out of clay that he formed from nothing. So if God can do that, there's nothing God cannot do. Uh, he can do anything. Now, it, it may be a mystery to you, but here's the, here's the good thing. It's not a mystery to God. You may stay up at night wondering about some things, but listen, God knows. He, he, there's no mystery to him. There's no confusion. There's no doubt. And uh, uh, he's in control. So now, it, I, I love this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. What, if you would, just turn over there quickly. 1 Timothy 3, 16. It's a good verse if you haven't marked it. Um, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy also 3, 16 has a good verse. But this is 1 Timothy 3, 16. I love this verse. And it says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, that's what the virgin birth is all about. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. 
Have you ever wondered about that phrase there, seen of angels? Did you realize this, that all through eternity, I mean, eons of ages, no angel had ever seen God because God is a spirit. He's invisible. The first time any angel or anybody, for that matter, ever saw God was when the Word <clears throat> became flesh, when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. The angel says, there is God lying in a manger. God was seen of angels, it says, preached unto the Gentiles, believed in the world, and received up into glory. Now, don't worry if you can't explain the virgin birth, because you can't explain God either. Um, you can, if you can explain the virgin birth, you can't explain it any more than you can explain God. So great is the mystery of godliness. We join Mary in saying, how can this be? But we also join the angel Gabriel and say, with God, all things are possible. And God's people have said to that, oh, you can do a little better than that. God's people said, amen. I'm going to get amens out of you one way or another. And, but I'll tell you, it, it is exciting to know that God has done all of this for you and I. This is what Christmas is all about. It is all about the virgin birth. There's no other birth like the birth of our Savior. It's settled. That's it. God did it. Now, if you have difficulty believing the virgin birth, I'll tell you, the real problem, the real difficulty is your God is too small or your faith is, is greatly lacking. Now, I, wanna, I, I want you to see that not only the mystery of his birth, but also... I want you to see, and this is very important, the ministry of his birth. The ministry of his birth. There, back in chapter 2 of Luke, and verses, um, oh, verses 8 through 14, um, we're not going to, uh, well, well, we'll look at a couple again here. It says in verse 8, and there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and they were sore, or, 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 and the glory of the Lord came, shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. That means they had, their socks were scared off of them. They were scared to death. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. Now, here it is, is a saving ministry. The virgin birth, that is the, the incarnation, God becoming man and uh, made flesh, was necessary for your salvation and my salvation. Now, now, now follow me here. God gave Adam and Eve dominion when he created them there in the Garden of Eden. They sinned and they lost that dominion. They forfeited it. They turned it over to Satan. And rather than being a servant of God, they became a slave to Satan. And they infected the entire human race with sin. Now, our dominion was lost by a M-A-N, a man. Now, the only way it can ever be returned uh, is by a man. And uh, uh, another man, that is, other than Adam, and that other man is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of us today are, are represented by one of the two, one of the two men, uh, either Adam or Jesus. In Adam, the Bible says all die. In Christ... All are made alive. Jesus Christ is called the last Adam, came, born of a virgin, to undo 
what the first Adam did. And so apart from the virgin birth, there is no hope of salvation. I, I hope you understand the importance of this uh, here today as we look into the Word of God. Uh, so, well, how did he come to undo what the first Adam did? Well, the Bible clearly and plainly teaches us that we're all sinners, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So, in other words, sin must be paid for. It must be atoned for. How? By the shed blood. Now, God in spirit has no blood. God is spirit, the Bible says. The great eternal I am is spirit. The great eternal I am, he cannot die. The great eternal I am cannot bleed. But this salvation and this do dominion was lost by a man, Adam. Therefore, it must be redeemed by a man. For without the shedding of blood is no remission. But not just any man can do this. Not at all. This man must be a perfect man. This man must be a sinless man. This man must be an innocent man. Now listen, we're all sons and daughters of Adam by birth, and none of, uh, of the sons and daughters of Adam qualify to do this. None. Why? Well, Romans 5 and verse 12, wherefore, as by one man, that one man being Adam, that's speaking of here, that's his name, sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. Listen to this again. For all have sinned. Now is there anybody here who would be, uh, uh, have the audacity, the, the uh, unmitigated gall to stand and to say, I have never sinned, never done anything wrong. Well, of course not. I, I think all of us here have enough sense to know I'm a sinner. There's things that I have done wrong. And for all have sinned. We know we're sinners by birth. We're sinners by choice. We're sinners by practice. We're sinners by nature. Had Jesus Christ been born like we were born, he would have been also a son of Adam. Had he been born the son of Adam, he would have been a sinner as well. Had he been a sinner, he would not have been innocent. Had he not been innocent, he could have saved no one. No one. Uh, he could have been nobody's substitute. Not yours, not mine. No one's. If he was born a son of Adam. The only sin he could die for then would be his own. Now, without a doubt, I can say this. God wants everyone saved. Oh, he wants you saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did he do that? That we might be saved. Well, so therefore, God's answer is a man to this problem of sin. This problem of separation from God. His answer was a man, a sinless man, a perfect man. The God-man, if you would. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. Someone who was both truly human and completely fully sinless he was god human that he might undo what the first adam did 
that he might shed blood, but the blood must be sinless blood. Now, whose blood was in that baby there in the manger? Was, it wasn't Mary's blood. And by the way, on that thought, let me just say this about this. When a little baby is being carried in a mother's womb, that little baby has a separate life. Uh, that separate from the mother, that is. Now, I, I wish those who would call themselves pro-choice would finish the rest of that and say pro-choice to kill. Pro-choice to kill a baby. Well, I, and, and some say, well, I, I have control over uh, uh, my own body. And, and that's, by the way, that little baby is not the mother's body. And that's, that, that's not their body. It's somebody else's body. There's a different blood in that baby. I don't have the same blood type that my mother had. Probably most or many of you did not either. And you had an entirely different blood type. And, and so uh, sometimes in a, a paternity suit in a court of law, a man may prove that he is not the father of a particular child. How? By a blood test. How is that? Because the bloodline is not determined by the mother. It's determined by the father. And so the mother, again, wh whose blood circulated in that little baby? It was the blood of God. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher, you just said a while back that God doesn't have blood. God is spirit. Let me take you to Acts chapter 20, verse 28, if you would turn there. Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28. Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders here, and he said... Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he, God, hath purchased with his own blood. And so there it is. Now, you say, well, explain that. I, I, listen, it, we're, we're talking about God. He can, he can do anything he wants. But the blood of God circulated through that little baby in, in uh, Mary's womb. Sinless blood. Innocent blood. And that's the reason I said you take away the virgin birth, you have no hope of heaven. He died a substitutionary death to atone for sin so that you and I might be born again and that we might be able to go to heaven. No sinless sacrifice, no atonement. No atonement, then no new birth. No new birth, no hope of heaven. See, that's what it's all about. That is why we have the virgin birth and, and the importance of it. Had he not been born a virgin, he would have been a son of Adam. He would have been a sinner. He would have been in need of a savior himself. And uh, uh, all that was in your father and your mother, uh, uh, all of it, not some, but all, uh, is in you. You are, are the sum total of the genetic characteristics of your mother and your father, your parents. And that will kind of help you understand the reason uh, for the virgin birth. Uh, Jesus had no connection with man as far as the bloodline is concerned. He was perfect. And he had no connection in that way with Adam. And suppose the parents of Jesus Christ were both deity, God plus God. Then Jesus would have been 100% uh, God. And he would have been uh, uh, not human at all and unreachable 
and, and could, not, could not have uh, 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 understood or known the needs of human, hum, mankind. He would have been God fully, perfectly, but unapproachable as only God and no way to save. Well, suppose that his parents were both human. And, and then we already talked about that. He would be fully human. He'd have inherited the characteristics of his father and his mother. And he would have inherited the sinful nature from his, his uh, original father, Adam. And so we, we would all have been a, he would have been a sinner and he would have been nobody's savior. But according to the Bible, his father truly is God. He is the Jehovah God. His mother truly is human. Then who is he? He is God in human flesh. He is as the Bible says, the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. Now, not uh, all man and no God. He's the only begotten Son of God. Jesus bled like you bled. Jesus hurt like you hurt. Jesus became weary like you become weary. He became hungry like you become hungry. But, God, but Jesus was also God. He could see the heart of man, knowing exactly their thoughts, and oftentimes that was manifested when he spoke uh, to those around him. But he is God. He's the only one qualified to die upon the cross of Calvary for our sins. To be that substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. Never overlook the virgin birth. Never knock the virgin birth. Don't think it's not really that big a deal. Thank God he stepped out of glory, he stepped out of heaven, and was born of a virgin. That's why the angel said here, this is good tidings of great joy. Great joy that we, uh, that, uh, which shall be to all people. Now Jesus Christ, he's not the white man's savior. Jesus Christ is not the black man's savior. He's not the red man's savior, the yellow man's savior. Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. And he, he, the good news, which is to all people, that good news is Jesus. And by the way, that's not changed at all. We don't go out here uh, promoting or trying to get others just to become a member of the church. Oh, I praise God for those who will join the church. But the most important thing is that they be born again. What they need is Jesus. What does that black man need? He needs Jesus. What does that white man need? He needs Jesus. What does that Indian need? That uh, Australia need? That China man? What, is, what do they need? They all need Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. The world, Jews and Gentiles alike, need Jesus. Well, now I come to the third and the final point here. I've talked about the mystery of his birth. It is a mystery. It was a mystery to Mary. How is this going to happen? Uh, but we know it's true. God can do anything. The ministry of his birth. Oh, he did all of this so that he could be that perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine. And now thirdly, and last of all, the last point here I want to deal with is the majesty. The majesty of his birth. Back in, in chapter 1, just a couple of verses here I want to read again. And in verse 30, chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, that is, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. And the angel said unto her, unto Mary, and the angel is Gabriel. Gabriel said unto Mary, in, in verse 30, um, 
And uh, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name what? Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now we're talking about the sovereign majesty of that baby in the manger. As the Son of God, he shares the very nature of God like father, like son. And so who is this baby? Who, virgin born, who is this baby? He is God, again, in human flesh. God in human flesh. But let me tell you what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. You need not turn there, I'll just read it. But unto the, the, uh, but unto the son he saith, thy throne, O God. So he's speaking to the son, speaking to Jesus. Thy throne, Oh, God, he's talking to the Son, S-O-N. Thy throne, O God, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. This baby is as much God as if he were not man at all. He is the earthly child of a heavenly father, and he is the heavenly child of an earthly mother. mother. Praise God. What an amazing story. The little baby lying there in a manger, that little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, that little baby with dimpled little feet touching the straw there in that manger is the mighty God of Genesis 1-1. We're in, in the beginning, God. That's who it is. Amen? Do you believe that? I believe it. I, in fact, not only me, it's all through the Word of God. The Apostle John believed it. In John chapter 1, verse 1, you're not far from there. You can look over there if you would. John chapter 1, verse 1, wonderful passage. That passage talks about this incarnation where God became man. And in verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, that Word is another name for Jesus. That's why it's capitalized. So, in the beginning was Jesus. And the Word, or Jesus, was with God. And the Word, or Jesus, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. By who? By Jesus. And without him, without Jesus, was not anything made that was made. So think about it. He made the manger that he lie in there. He is God from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus did not begin with Mary there in Bethlehem. He existed as ageless as his Father in heaven. When Jesus was born... You could say he was as ageless as his father, and he was older than his mother. You think about that. And he, he has come to rule and to reign. Praise the Lord. We hear this phrase all the time, what's the world coming to? The world's coming to Jesus. Whether they like it or not, whether they believe it or not, it's all coming to Jesus. They're all going to give answer to Jesus. Lost and, and saved alike. And so he, 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 we know that he is, um, you know, his is the cradle that literally rocked the world. Uh, and you, you can believe that. You can trust that. One day our dear Savior is going to step out of glory again. And one day those blessed nail-pierced feet 
It's going to touch the Mount of Olives. And all, what a joy it was to stand at the Mount of Olives and to look at that eastern gate and to realize that when that happens, there's going to be a great earthquake and Jesus is going to make his way to Jerusalem. Do you know the Muslims have made it? They have part of that uh, territory. They blocked the eastern gate. Uh, they know this, this, this prophecy. They think they're going to stop Jesus, so they even made a cemetery out in front of that eastern gate. You see, they're very superstitious. They don't even go and pay their respects to their, their dead. They're very superstitious. They, don't, they won't be found in a grave at all by a grave. And so that grave is very, un, the cemetery, very unkept. They think that will keep Jesus away. No, no. There's nothing in this world. There's no force, no power greater than he. When he hits that Mount of Olives, he's going to make his way. Those doors will come open automatically. Jesus is going to come and rule and reign in his second coming. I'm not talking about the rapture there, but we know this is going to happen. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, Isaiah said. What's wrong with the world today? Again, something I ask all the time. I'm sure you do too. The stories we hear, it seems like it's never ending, right? Uh, one day to the next, you hear something that has happened. You say, what in the world? How could this happen? And what is the world? All we need to do is turn on the news or uh, read a newspaper. And, and some, something tragically is wrong with our world. They, they, I, I heard uh, the White House spokesperson say that it's because, put the blame on the coronavirus. I'm sorry, that's not the problem. No. And there is a problem with our world. And it looks like we're looking sometimes into the barrel of a cannon. And it looks like it's all going to explode. It's all going to uh, come to an end. But there can be no real peace, my friend, without the Prince of Peace, without Jesus. The answer to this world's problem, problems is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, your problems, they may not be as big as what you see in this world, but I guarantee you the answer for your problem is Jesus. The answer for the world's problem is Jesus. And the hope of the individual, the hope of the church, the hope of the family, the hope of our nation, the hope of this world is in Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. There's no other way. There was an old fearless English evangelist named his name was Henry Morehouse. I've read about this preacher, quite a, a fiery preacher. But he told a story, and I want to share the story with you this morning. There were a group of men, many, uh, this is a long time ago, they were in London. They were at the London Zoo. Now, these guys were not the best of characters. They uh, took these uh, rat terrier dogs, and they wanted to uh, see how many rats these terriers could kill. So they gambled on this. They'd put this little dog among a whole pack of just vicious rats. And so they did this little rat terrier, and that dog was just killing rats left and right, doing a great job. But they timed it, so they had to kill so many rats in a certain amount of time, and that person would win if that happened. Well, the owner of the dog lost the bet. He grabbed it and yanked that dog out of that, that pit and uh, took that dog and kicked him and beat him just mercilessly. That dog was all bloody and and uh, whining, and he picked the dog up and threw it over the fence into the lion's cage. And that lion walked over. He was hoping that lion would just devour him. He was so mad at that dog because he lost the bet. Well, that lion walked over to that little bloody, poor little dog, and he kind of nudged him with his nose, and then he sat down and put his paw 
over on top of the dog and just glared at the man as if to say, what have you done to this poor little creature? And probably hoping he would come into the cage with him. But time went on, the zookeeper came in and he said, what has happened here? Who put this dog in the lion's cage? And the guy said, well, well I did. I got a little excited and uh, said, I, I threw the dog in there. I want my dog back. And the zookeeper didn't answer him. And he said once again, he said, I don't think you heard me. And he's a little bit more belligerent. He said, I want my dog, and I want my dog back now. And the zookeeper said, okay. And he opened the gate. He said, go ahead, go get him. And then Henry Morehouse said this. You know, I was like that. Beaten, bruised, maimed, and wounded by Satan and by sin. And the Lion of Judah, the Lord Jesus, has come as my Savior and my protector. Oh, praise God. I mean, this world will throw you away. It'll just beat you up. It'll leave you for dead. But Jesus Christ is the Lion of Judah. Jesus Christ is our power and our help. I'm so glad that we have such a wonderful Savior this Christmas. Coronavirus can't take that away. Nobody in the White House can take that away. Communism can't take that away. Socialism cannot take that away. Marxism can't take it away. Oh, we have a Savior, and we are free. Yes, free indeed. You know, this is a wonderful time to tell others about Jesus. Many years ago, there was a, a middle-aged lady. She received this telegram. The telegram told her that she had inherited over a million dollars. And she's, she's beside herself. Now, this was the day when a million dollars was a million dollars. And uh, so she had saw that she's winning over a million dollars, and she was beside herself. She didn't even know she had any relatives that had that kind of money. And so she, she didn't know what to do. She was home alone. She was flabbergasted, and she uh, uh, wanted to tell someone. So she runs to the phone and says, hello, operator, get me someone on the line. I don't care who it is. I just have something to tell them. I'm so excited. And that's what, you know, Shouldn't we feel that way, that way about Jesus Christ? Oh, listen, I, I don't care who it is. I, I'm so excited. I want to tell them about my Savior who saved me, who forgave me of my sins, who gave me a peace and a hope in this world that in spite of all that's happening, I know my confidence is in him. I just want to tell people about Jesus Christ. I hope that's you here this morning. But why the virgin birth? He came that we might go to heaven. The whole purpose is wrapped up in this substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He was born to die. I like that picture that uh, shows the, the manger scene, the baby Jesus lying in the manger and the shadow of a cross cast over it. That's why he came. He came to die. You see, the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on who? On Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You see, now let, let, uh, let's just say this hand represents you. And let's say this Bible, which tells us all about sin, represents our sin. And the Bible says that Jesus, who is perfect, let's say this, this is Jesus. Perfect, sinless, innocent. He died for our sins. And God placed our sins 
upon Jesus. He took our sin. He died for it. Went to that bloody cross and died for you and I. Now, then he gave us his righteousness. That, oh, what a, what a joy. What a, what a great blessing that is. Thank God we received his righteousness. Without it, we could not enter heaven. That, that's the good news, folks. It's all around Jesus. And the Bible says it clearly, very plainly. The Bible doesn't mix words, doesn't try to give code or, or beat around the bush. He said, it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's it. There's no other way. You say, well, preacher, I'm a, I, I, I have a, my own religion. That you may have your own religion, but let me tell you, you must be born again. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, I, I, I've done, you know, I tithe, I read my Bible, I pray every day. But have you been born again? You must be born again. If I could do, look, you know, I, I believe, I've tried my best here this morning to present in this time that we have the truth as best I know how, but I know this, God wants you to be saved. If you're here today and you have doubts in your mind that if your heart was to stop beating right now that you'd be in heaven, Listen, God wants you to be saved. He wants you to know so. Uh, he's given us his word that we can know that we've been forgiven. So why should you die and go to hell when you have such a wonderful salvation provided for you by Jesus Christ? It's your choice. Choose Jesus, you choose life. Reject him, you choose death and hell. Let's bow our heads together in prayer.